Hello, and welcome back to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm Ashley Hasty, the book blogger behind HastyBookList.com, a college fashion and marketing instructor, an aspiring author working on a historical fiction manuscript, and as of November of last year, a new mom. This is my first season back following my maternity leave, and I'm very excited about the lineup of authors we have for you. Without further ado, let's see who's up next. In this episode, I chat with Shauna J. Edwards and Allison Richman about their novel, The Thread Collectors, a book Linda Cohen Leugman, USA Today bestselling author of The Two Family House and The Wartime Sisters, described as not only for lovers of historical fiction, but for readers everywhere who search for hidden truths behind the facts we think we know. Like the fearless, sensitive, and resourceful women they write about, Edwards and Richman have stitched together a glorious tapestry of resilience, survival, friendship, and love. This is a Civil War story unlike any other, a story readers will treasure from the very first page. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this interview. Shauna and Allison, welcome to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I had the pleasure of interviewing you for my blog, hastybooklist.com. We're here today to talk about your novel, The Thread Collectors. So will you start by telling our listeners what your novel is about? Absolutely. So in The Thread Collectors, you meet two couples. There is a Black couple, and that's comprised of Stella. Stella is enslaved, and she's at home in New Orleans, secretly taking repurposed thread and cloth to create these maps to help enslaved men covertly flee to join the Union Army. She's in love with Jacob. Jacob is a brilliant Black musician, also enslaved, and he decides he's going to run to join the Union Army as well. On the battlefields of Louisiana, he meets Jacob Kling. Jacob is a German Jewish soldier, and he's been encouraged to join the Union Army by his fiery abolitionist wife, Lily Kling, who's up in New York doing some sewing of her own. She's joined a quilting circle from camaraderie, and also they're creating quilts to send down to the Union soldiers for comfort and also to help fund the Union Army cause. So these four characters who come from different races, different faiths, different backgrounds, who might not seem that they have too much in common, by the end of the novel, you find out that they have much more in common than you would have thought. The Thread Collectors is, Shauna, it's your debut novel, and Allison, it's your 10th novel, if I counted correctly. Mm -hmm. I love asking authors how they became authors. Their journeys to publication are so varied. Allison, I read you majored in art history and Japanese studies, and Shauna, you're a former corporate lawyer, so I want to know how did your paths lead you to becoming authors? Allison, let's start with you. Okay, so... You know, being an art history major in college, one of the things that I absolutely loved was telling the story behind a painting. I loved putting it in historical context. I loved looking for, you know, the psychological artist was putting into the canvas of how he might have seen his, you know, particular subject. I, I loved researching the cost, you know, what they were wearing in the clothing. And I think that love of investigation of research and then trying to, you know, when I would write my art historical papers, opened up a lens into a world that, you know, is much more complicated than at first meets the eye. So when I graduated from college, I thought to myself, if I could do anything in the world, what I would love to do would be to write novels about artists and how they experience 
history in real time. And that's what sort of led me to write historical fiction. All of my novels have someone who is creative or artistic as one of the main protagonists. And like the Thread Collectors, we do have a musician or two musicians. We have a Black musician and a Jewish musician who meet on the battlefield. So that kind of stays in line with what I've done since. And Shana, what about you? How did you come to co-write this book with Allison? So while I am a dusty, dry corporate lawyer, I majored in literature in college. So reading has always been something that spurred me, that love of language. And I'd always harbored dreams to write my own novel. I think when Allison and I first met 13 years ago, I was so thrilled to meet an author. I think I, I almost thought that I was meeting like a unicorn in real life. And I probably admitted to her that first day that it would be my dream to write a novel. I did not know that the opportunity would be handed to me by one of my dearest friends, but I am so grateful that it has been. As for how we came to write this book, I'm happy to dive into that as well if you want, Ashley. Well, I read that the story is loosely inspired by your family histories. Absolutely. Allison, you want to go first and maybe I'll layer on? Well, yes, I'm on my family tree. I have two great, great, great uncles who were sons of Jewish German immigrants that had come over to the United States in the 1830s. And these two particular, you know, brothers, when they came of age, one went down to Mississippi to start a mercantile depot in Satarsha, Mississippi, a little town near the Yazoo County. And while his younger brother remained up in New York, and when the Civil War broke out, our family legend was that these two brothers fought on opposite sides of the Civil War and that their relationship was never healed after the war, that this, you know, decision to fight on opposite sides and take up, you know, opposing views on fighting against slavery basically severed the family forever. So I always heard that from my grandmother. And then I started to do the research. We learned about what regiment each brother was in. We, you know, were able with the research also to discover the will of my Southern uncle where he disowned his, um, we certainly incorporated that fraternal relationship in the Thread Collectors, using that about two brothers who are children of immigrants themselves, outsiders being Jewish in a new country, how that plays out in our book is based on my own family tree. And so for me, it's not as direct a connection, but when Allison was first talking to me about this idea that grew into the Thread Collectors that was back, I think, in 2017, which seems so crazy. I almost refer to it as like the before times, like before the <laughs> pandemic. Um, I then introduced this concept. Well, she had had a loose idea, I think, of a Jewish soldier and a Black soldier meeting on the battlefields, and some map gets created. I was, as you might expect, really interested and intrigued by the idea of the Black soldier. And I said, well, what if he takes the map and he gives it to his beloved and she creates a tactile map? And that was in my head because while I am not a quilt maker, I come from a line of women who have created quilts. You know, my mother was born on a cotton farm in Houston, Louisiana. And that idea, that rich, you know, history of textile in the African-American community is one of the most direct lines. All of the Black women in the novel are named after women in my family, including our heroine Stella, who's named after my mother. And in particular, the matriarch of the Black women, Janie, was inspired by a great, great, great aunt of mine. Janie Roach, who, in spite of her race and the strictures of the time, managed to become financially independent and a landowner. And I had thought sometimes, like, I wonder the choices that she had to make in order to achieve that. And as we were writing the character of Janie, as we were writing a lot of these characters, Allison and I were pulling from the stories that have been passed down and the questions we've had about our ancestry. So it was lovely to be able to weave that in. 
So the story is loosely based on your family histories, but how did you decide to write this story together? As Shauna touched upon, like in 2017, I had this very rough idea to use that fraternal relationship that I, you know, expanded on within within my family and to perhaps make it into a novel. Shauna, as she mentioned, contributed to these building blocks of that story. Even though I wasn't searching for a writer partner back then, I was literally just having a conversation with my friend who loves to read. And as she mentioned, was a literature major. And our whole friendship, we've been married married for 13 years. <laughs> we've been friends for 13 years. We've always been like, you know, talking about books. She's my litmus test when I have an idea. But I was very excited when Shauna suggested this whole other layer to the book about embroidered maps and bringing in, you know, a love story because who was, you know, the black soldier's beloved who could create these embroidered maps. And Shona was volunteering this information just out of the generosity of her heart and her interest. She wasn't, you know, trying to say like, and I could be your collaborator. So I left that meeting in 2017, very much inspired and still thinking about writing this book. But I always like to say that when you embark on writing a novel, all the winds have to feel that on your back are steering you to do this is the book you need to be writing at this particular time in your life. And I didn't feel that in 2017. I actually went on to write another book called The Secret of Clouds that I published in 2019. But fast forward to 2020, when we were in the throes of the pandemic, and the world felt so fragile and scary. And then on top of that, the brutal murder of George Floyd, which really sort of cleaved open, I think, in our consciousness, how much racial injustice there has always been in the United States, but still is prevalent today. And so the themes of the Civil War, this curiosity to sort of understand what happened back then and how that divided our nation, started pulling me back in the direction of a Civil War novel again. But when I returned to the original seeds of the idea, I already knew that it wasn't wholly mine, that Shauna had not just said to me, oh, that sounds like a great idea, Alison, I think you should write that book, that she had contributed building blocks to the story. She had already sort of pressed her fingerprint, you know, her heritage into the story. And I wanted to honor that. And I also wanted to, you know, see, because I have known her for so many years and know that she's always wanted to write a novel. I had a very strong instinct that we would be able to collaborate on something and make something really beautiful and powerful with historical integrity, because she's such a scholar. And like, you know, she's so curious about learning as much as I am. So I just thought, I think we'd make a good team. When I called Shauna, I think she was surprised that I was, you know, saying, do you want to write this novel with me? Right? I was very surprised. Um, I, I think I hung up the phone and turned to my husband, who I'm actually married to, although he might think I'm married <laughs> to him. And I think I said to him, she's crazy. I will say, actually, that it wasn't for me an immediate yes, not because I wasn't blown away by the offer, but it was because in 2020, particularly as a Black woman, I was feeling pretty wrung out, emotionally exhausted. My day-to-day job was leading a global organization in their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts live, you know, in that time in terms of like looking at all the source documentation. And I sometimes phrase it as I didn't know if I could live through what I hope is the most racially divisive time of my lifetime, and then revisit the most racially divisive time in our country's history. So it took a little bit of, frankly, a little bit of nudging from my husband to really put it in context of what this ultimately turned out to be, a legacy project, a place for me to put some of those difficult emotions, a place to work through these questions of race with a dear and treasured friend, and a place to maybe do something that's educational in a way that people walk away knowing more than they ever could have, in a manner, though, that is maybe not as scary and confrontational as it sometimes feels. So I'm glad that I took the leap, but 
it wasn't right away. Yes, for me. That is a great segue into my next question. Allison, like you, I'm a historian first. My focus was in fashion history. So the textile connection of this book really spoke to me when I was first reading about it. Research, therefore, is my favorite part of the writing process, and I love asking authors about their research. Actually, Shauna, I want to start with you because I imagine that research was quite difficult, quite heavy um, in many instances. So I'm curious what researching that time period was like for you. That's a great question. We're fortunate to at least have some institutions in the nation that focus on the lives of ordinary African Americans because it was important for us to showcase what ordinary people were going through. I relied a lot on the Amistad Research Center, which is down in New Orleans. And because it was the pandemic and I was working fully remotely, I got to go and stay with my mama after being like hosed off with Lysol. <laughs> um, the Schomburg Center up here in New York, I live in Harlem in New York, and so that's only a few blocks away. They were wonderful. And also the historic New Orleans collection. Part of the research was focused on free Black people of color because we do have free Black people of color who are in our, not free people of color, sorry, who are in our novel. And the research that is pretty readily available, if you can imagine, like I'm holding letters from the 19th century in my hands, where we have archival deficiency, and I think it says a lot about our country, is when you think about the day-to-day -day lives of people who are enslaved. You know, you couldn't teach an enslaved person how to read or write if you were caught, even a white person could face dire consequences. People that were enslaved are either written by, you know, their enslavers, or it's been passed down from oral history. And so that's not always easy to piece together. I know we often get asked, well, are there any records of people having created like these covert embroidered maps for enslaved people to run? We didn't find that exactly. We found in certain other circumstances, like Civil War saboteurs embroidering things on like the hem of their petticoat. And many of us have heard, for instance, about using quilts, you know, in different directions and with different symbology to lead people to different underground railroad houses. But what I say about that time is I don't rule anything out because the very people that were doing it often didn't have a way to write down and preserve for history what they were doing. I also had the ability to go to Port Hudson. The Battle of Port Hudson plays a really central role in our novel. It was a battle where Black men were finally given the opportunity to fight for freedom, similar to the battle scenes that are depicted in that wonderful movie, Glory, although Port Hudson happened a few weeks prior. And they were, frankly, they were massacred. And it was a really dark time. Their bodies weren't collected for weeks. It was not, it was not the Union Army's shining moment when it comes to how they treated Black soldiers. And I spent a day there with the park ranger. And when I say you can feel the spirits when you're walking across that land, I certainly could. And even though it's only 90 minutes away from where I grew up, I had never been, which reiterated to me how important it is for Allison and I to work on this project. And frankly, for historical novels, historical fiction to be out in the world to teach people things that they're never going to get taught in the classroom. And Allison, I'm curious if your process differed how you would write a solo novel versus how you co-wrote with Shauna. So my process didn't change. And, and it's interesting because when Sean and I decided that we were going to collaborate, we didn't so much talk about process. I mean, we definitely knew that we were going to work on a Google Doc, and I've always worked on Word. And the Google Doc was enable, enable us to really jointly create the voice that we wrote the Thread Collectors. You know, a lot of people, a lot of readers 
initially thought, you know, when we would be, come to book clubs or we'd do talks and they, people would raise their hand and say, did Shauna write the black characters and did I write the white characters? And that's not at all how we wrote this book, right? From the beginning, we did want to create one seamless narrative voice that blended our hearts, our minds and our histories together. So you couldn't tell who was writing what. And we did that by creating a Google Doc and usually every Sunday night, we would brainstorm 20 pages at a time. You know, we didn't have a big outline of what was, we didn't have an outline at all what was going to happen. We generally knew the intent and what kind of story we wanted to create, one that showed history and pulled from our ancestry and was, you know, at the end of the book, a book about hope, the bridges that connect us rather than divide us. So we had like a, a feeling about this book, but we didn't have an outline for that book. And I never work for, you know, an outline. And it's funny because Shauna never said like, do we need an outline? She was very much like me, let's create something beautiful and powerful. Going back to that methodology, we would brainstorm 20 pages at a time, I would go in and do almost like a wire armature of the structure of what we had discussed with a thin layer of clay. And then she would put on her layer of clay and build out the story. Then I would do another layer and then she would and then four or five times back and forth on those 20 pages until we felt it really envisioned how we saw those particular chapters. Let's say that was, you know, we write short chapters or three chapters, and then we would slowly move on. And that's how I've written all of my stories very much like a painter where one brushstroke building against the next brushstroke and being very conscious of, of saturation of color and description and then face, you know, negative space where you pull away and there's time for the reader to breathe in and process what's going on. There's a collaboration, they outline everything and they say in this chapter, it's going to be from this point of view, and it's going to have this character coming and we didn't do any of that. And that would have really thrown me to real if Shauna said, I feel I need an outline or, you know, we need to pace out everything that's going to happen. Because I love the beauty of what sort of unfolds in a story when you're writing. And I've always done it that way. And I, not to speak for Shauna, but we, right, we never discuss this. It just became, you know, you and I just had a natural, instant synchronicity mm -hmm. of creating together. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that what 13 years of marriage friendship <laughs> in handy to be on the same level as far as how you're going to. Absolutely. And Shauna, did it come as naturally to you as Allison is making it out that you mm. just kind of met her in her process and that's was your process too? I guess for me, and you know, approaching it as not my day job, but a dream, I think it would have been less fun if it had felt as rigid. You know, I have a ton of rigidity in my day-to-day -day life. If you saw my outlook, you might faint. You know, it's like <laughs> carved down to 15-minute increments. So for me, this idea of just telling story is very much, even if you were with me at a dinner party, I would just start and it would just go and then it might go in like a little tributary there. That is the way my mind thinks. And I think that allowed it to not only be more creative, more beautiful, but frankly, more fun. I, you know, I've never written a book by myself although I have aspirations to, of course. But that's the beauty of being able to do something with a friend because you want it to be fun, not only purposeful. And so if we had had an outline, I don't know. I think that would have sucked. Really <laughs> but I will say, going back to your initial question, one thing that's different is that when you're writing a book by yourself, everything is so solitary, right? So if you're in like a, a conundrum with a character, does the character go here or a character go there? It could take me three days to be like, to, to make a decision. I'm in the shower. I'm thinking about that. I'm not really sure. I might try it out one way and then fix it and you go another way. Having a wonderful co-author, you can call her, you know, up and say, and knowing that she's confident that that's the direction, it took a real burden off my back. It made things much more, I think, efficient for us to be able to always have each other as a mm -hmm. sounding board. 
Well, I'm excited to hear your answers to this next question, given where you each are in your writing careers. What one piece of advice would you share with writers who haven't yet landed an agent or who aren't yet published? I think my advice to aspiring authors is that you should really try and write every day if possible to be consistent and so that you can build out a story because any agent is going to want to see a full manuscript from you. They're not going to take a representation and run a few pages. They really need to see what you you can create. And so having that full manuscript is, is everything, right? But for me, when I was first starting out and wanting to finish my manuscript, I made it my expectations on myself very easy and manageable. So I would say I'm going to write for four hours every day, but I only, I'm a slow writer, so this might horrify people. You know, I'm not going to be upset if I don't write more than 500 words, you know? So I knew that I had to force myself to do 500 words, which is like two pages, but I did it every day and I treated it like a job, you know, that that was going to be my output. And even to this day when I write, and sometimes I, I do only write 500 pages, 500 words a day, and I have to rewrite them the next day because they're, they're not good enough and I'm always rewriting. It keeps me consistent. It keeps me moving towards that focal point, which is to have a finished manuscript. And so maybe it's 250 words for you. Maybe it's 100. But if you stick at it and you keep on doing it, you will have a finished manuscript. I'd love to hear about the books you're reading and loving right now. Can you tell us a bit about your reading world? What books should we not miss? Okay, so I will say that I am a high-low reader, just like I am a high-low fashion girl. Allison has a very, a relatively, I don't want to say narrow, but very literary bent. I will literally read anything. So if someone leaves something in the subway, I will pick it up. I am currently reading quite an old novel. I think it's maybe published in the beginning of the 1900s called The Pit by I think Frank Morris and it's kind of like this tale of industrialist in Chicago and I cannot tell you why I just suddenly started reading this book but that is what I'm reading. Oh, and I I have two two more chapters left. It's not a it's not a novel in Brave Not Perfect by Reshma Sajani who founded like Girls Who Code because I do think that I sometimes struggle with bravery in spite of the fact that I took this leap into being a novelist and so I wanted to read that book to inspire me on my next feat of bravery. So that one is really good, but obviously not a novel, nonfiction. And I'm a third way through R.F. Kuang's um, Babel. I don't know if you've read that, Ashley, but it's really wonderful. It's beautifully written. It has an element of magic in it, which is, you know, really fun to read. And I think what I really love about that book is her taking sort of a micro lens on the nuances of language and words and how we each, you know, in each culture, a word has a different layer to it that might not be translatable. And I think with Sean and I, when we were creating this book, one of the things that we noticed is that sometimes we heard a word differently, whether it was from our backgrounds or our heritages. And that nuance of how language hits your ear in a different way is really fascinating to me, especially coming from having always written by myself. And so, you know, when I... I'm writing by myself. I pick out a word very often because as I'm painting a picture, it's the word that I associate with that visual, not necessarily the history of that word or how another person might hear it. And now I have a whole other sensitivity to it. And I, I, I love that. But I also love what in this book, Babel, of how she brings that into, you know, just how people do translation work, you know, how when you're trying to interpret an author's words, what words you bring to it and how you hear those words are different, perhaps, than the author's original intent. So it's interesting. Finally, I want to share how people can find you. Will you each share your website and where you like to hang out on social media? 
Um, it has all of our speaking engagements, book club questions, and all those things that make our book interesting um, behind the scenes. And you can find me on Instagram at Allison Richmond, just like my name, and on Facebook, Allison Richmond author. And on Instagram, I am at Shauna J. Edwards, just like my name, and on Facebook at Shauna J. Edwards, making it pretty easy. And before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't yet covered? Perhaps what's next for each of you, whether you're writing another book together or Shauna, if you're working on a solo book? I have a book coming out, another collaboration called The Friday Night Club that comes out on May 16th, which is about the artist Hilma Uffklint. She was a Swedish, she's actually considered now the first abstract painter preceding even Kandinsky, although her, her accomplishments were sort of buried by male history prior to the explosion of in, in Renaissance and recognition of her work in the past couple of years. I have a novel coming out fall 2024, a solo book called uh, The Timekeepers. And Shauna, talk about what we have plans for, you know, as a collaboration. Absolutely. So our novel does not end in a neat little bow. Um, so we have aspirations of taking our characters into Reconstruction and perhaps even into the 20s, the Harlem Renaissance, and even into the 60s, where we know there were so many connections between Black and Jewish communities. And in each generation, you know, seeing this spark of musical talent and how the music industry changes against the backdrop of all of these huge historical movements. But as Allison teaches me, because she is my writing Sherpa, we first need people to fall in love with the thread collectors first. And as Allison well knows, I've been noodling around with two ideas, one of which is loosely inspired by my father's side of the family because our families are more interesting than we know, I think. <laughs> well, Shauna and Allison, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today on the Best of Women's Fiction. It was really a pleasure to learn more about the thread collectors, what inspired it, and your paths that led you to sharing this book with us. Thank you. For links to the books mentioned in this episode, the author's social media, and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of this same episode. I'd love it if you'd follow me on Instagram at Ashley Hasty. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here, and if you enjoy it, please share with your friends.